Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Welcome back, everyone, and thanks for listening. When I'm recording a podcast, of course, I'm paying attention and I'm always enjoying what my guests are sharing. But sometimes during the edit, I think, wow, this is really good stuff. This is one of those times. Matt Benson and I connected through LinkedIn and now chat somewhat regularly. He has started a podcast, which we'll talk about, and he's been to a few of my curated cocktails networking events, and he ended up interviewing even some of my friends from that. You're going to learn something today, I promise, and stick around to the end if you want to hear a crazy story about true crime in the lab furniture industry. If you weren't aware... True Crime is one of the hottest podcast categories in terms of downloads, so I expect my numbers on this one to go through the roof. Enjoy this episode with my friend, Matt Benson. Matt Benson is the Director of Marketing and Business Development at One Point Solutions, a leading manufacturer of custom laboratory furniture and industrial workbenches in the country. Matt, welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio. Hey, thanks for having me on. So as part of your job and director of marketing, you are the host of the Reagent podcast. And today we're going to talk about your content journey. To start out, tell us a little bit about One Point Solutions. Who are your customers and the audience you're trying to reach? So we, I like to say we have almost infinite product capabilities we're like a custom manufacturer and a construction company all wrapped into one mainly for furniture and heavy duty stuff we have a very small and niche customer base and that's pretty much anyone who manages a lab works in a lab or is on the industrial side so that could be anything from a warehouse to like a electronics testing facility at the likes of intel and companies like that so anything like technical and heavy duty even like commercial places like gas stations that is our customer base. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So, it's not just scientists, but it's a lot of laboratory furniture. Right. And Lab so honestly makes up like a good, probably the vast majority of our work. Okay. That makes it a fairly diverse audience. Yes. So, when you started out with this, first of all, what, what made you even think about doing a podcast? So... I'll, I'll start with a little background of the traditional way things are marketed and sold in our industry. One avenue that people normally go is the relationship-based route where, you know, the, the biggest labs in the country, the pharma labs down in San Diego and in LA and San Francisco, a lot of times they're bound through their real estate companies. If they needed to replace all the casework or workbenches in their lab, They really don't have too many options. Like the real estate company works with specific contractors that are preferred with specific manufacturers that they know and trust. But then this portion of the business that kind of has the freedom, whether it's like a biotech company or maybe a lab with a little looser contracts and stuff like that, they'll go straight to Google or they'll find people at trade shows, which is a very old channel. And then um, Google, which is immensely competitive for paid search and SEO, which I I mean, there aren't too many players, but everyone's kind of gunning for the same business. And we all have pretty big PPC budgets. 
but there isn't too much in the way of like really strong content and really like value driven material out there. So that's why I, I had this idea. We're spending all this money on paid ads on Google. Why don't I diversify a bit and also add in a podcast and kind of see where that takes me. So that's what started my journey. Yeah. So on your podcast, which I've listened to and you do a great job. Thanks. How much time do you spend talking about laboratory furniture and construction? Very little, very little. Cause like, that's something I really wanted to avoid. I didn't want this to be the lab furniture podcast. You know what I mean? I, and I think there, there is a room for that. And I, I do see eventually, like I'll probably throw in some episodes about how to choose a countertop and things like that, that are like really high intent items for our business. But what I really wanted to do is I wanted to cast a broad net and have something where I could have people on in a, in a much looser, more casual and like more um, aspirational focused um, environment targeting the whole area of the life sciences and go after that. Um, because I just want to like, A, I want to personally learn about people in this industry and I love networking with people in this industry. And I think there's pe people benefit from hearing someone's story or hearing how, how people rose to a level of PhD. Like I had you on the podcast, obviously it was great and had someone on who started her own science writing business. I think people want to know about that stuff. Like how do people go from PhD to all these other avenues? And, and I'm okay that it's more tangential to a more like short-term financial gain for us as much as building authority and building goodwill in this business is more like a branding initiative. So that's where my head's at when I'm driving that strategy. Right. Branding and networking are definitely, in my experience, probably the top benefits of, of this thing. And networking, maybe even on top of branding. Right. Um, and with respect to providing information about countertops or whatever, I've been to your website, and I would say relative to any kind of life science site, which yours isn't quite, right? I mean, you are in the construction business to a degree, but you lay out for your different kinds of markets very good information on everything from, oh, you're going to start a cannabis testing lab to Thank a you. metallurgy lab. <laughs> yeah. What kinds of things will you need? So, for example, for people who don't get to go look at um, Matt's site, which I hope you do, you talked about cannabis testing. Well, what kind of instruments are you going to need in there? So you're thinking about the space requirements and all these other things and how the workflow might go. I think it's it's pretty exceptional how you lay that out for people. Thanks. Yeah, I, I want to be very aggressive with that content strategy. And, and obviously, we are construction guys at heart. I'm a marketer at heart. I don't have a background in life science, and I don't claim to be that expert. So I really do lean on people, and I have... When I can, when I meet a biosafety expert, I've had them review our biosafety page and say, "Hey, do a do a quick eye check, make sure our info is correct, because we're just writing it, doing our research." And that's how I think we we've built like what I think is one of the most authoritative sites and and bodies of content that you can have when it comes to like all these little niches. Yeah, and I'm interested in the big picture of your content strategy. So I went to your site last night, and the first the the most fun thing was that the chat box popped up and it had your name and picture on it. <laughs> right. Thinking, if I do this, are you really going to answer me? 
<laughs> so what's funny is, is that the Matt bot. <laughs> the, no, so it is live chat and it is really me. Now I think I may have left it on after I clocked out for the day and just so that that was my mistake. But uh, so you normally won't catch me at night. But yeah, like we, you caught me in an interesting time too because like we are kind of building a, a more specialized role in our team to make that streamlined. But yeah, but you're talking to the director of marketing if you're chatting into us and and I'm. I have a very hands-on approach to my marketing and this is the spirit of our business, but anything I do, I don't care about leads. If I get all the leads in the world to our business, I say, well, I did a good job. Like I marketed, I got us leads and they don't turn into revenue. I didn't do crap. Like I need to make sure that all the business I'm bringing in is not like my success isn't based on a vanity metric, but it's based on the revenue. So Anyway, that's why I, you know, take a proactive approach to being on live chat, talking to customers directly and all that stuff. So yeah, that, that just probably shines a little light on that. I very much, I want to grab the bull by the horns when it comes to driving my outcomes and my metrics. Yeah. So a revenue focused marketer, got to love that. I'm curious. So you've done a podcast and it looks like, I mean, you have your hands on the whole thing. So how do you connect your podcast and the awareness and so on? down into your funnel and move people through? Oh, that's a good question. And I would say it's still in a very nascent stage. So I don't think I've tied the podcast to outcomes right now, but um, we definitely have plans in the future to use it in a couple different ways. Like one of the main ways would be almost as, you know, your traditional testimonials. Um, I think there's a ton of value like, like we're lucky because of the type of business that we do where, you know, we're working with the heads of science who oversee like several PhDs at an R&D firm or something like that. I want to get them on the podcast to kind of talk about the work they do. And that can actually tie in with almost like a testimonial because we've if we've built a lab for them. That's how I see it being best leveraged. But it's still very much in the early stages where we're mapping out that strategy. So. The flip side of that has come up in a few conversations I've had or listened to this week about using your podcast as a prospecting tool. Not in on one hand to say, oh, I did this podcast and have a prospective client that you might send it to and say, hey, this might be useful to you. Right. Also to ask prospective clients to interview them. So have you considered going out to whoever that client might be and say, right. can I talk to you about what you're doing? Because obviously all their peers would be interested in it and they get the benefit of getting exposure for themselves as well. Yeah. I actually, I've kind of started to do that a little bit and start to think that way. I like, for instance, I met a, an architect on LinkedIn and she handles biosafety. She's actually going to be, I the episode's already recorded. I'm going to launch it probably in the next couple of weeks we did a deep dive into biosafety requirements and pathology labs and tied it to COVID and stuff like that. That's someone who we've never worked with before, but um, I would hope that there's some value there that potentially she could help us get specified on a job and we could help her get a really reliable manufacturer in there in her designs and, and on her team's work. I, I 100% agree. And I think especially in our in I guess my industry and kind of you know where where you where you live too, there's a lot of interesting stories and technical knowledge that's kind of esoteric that I think people would like to hear about that just flows really well in the podcast format. 
in what traditionally would have probably been just a, hey, I'm going to introduce myself and call you and see if we see if we can work together. Here we're kind of doing that while having like a really nice tangible piece of content that we could leverage. Right. And I haven't done it specifically. I've never sent a pod. Well, I have after other conversations probably sent people a podcast. Hey, here's an example sort of thing Yeah, that you might find useful. I've never invited someone on with the specific intent of turning them into a client. I think it has happened so directly. Right. And, and just for the record, this woman that I interviewed, if we don't ever get business from her or work with her on designs, that's totally okay. And that's not part of any kind of agreement or deal. I genuinely really liked having, having her on and, and I'm excited about that episode. I think when you go into it, really wanting, putting the content first, putting the relationship first and just the value first and stuff's going to come from that over time. Absolutely. Yeah. You don't want to make it a tit for right. tat in exactly. any way. It's, you know, you have to provide value, but as a broader strategy, when you're thinking about potential guests, interviewing people that could be customers is a reasonable thing. I just released an hour before we started recording this, what will have been two episodes previous to yours, an interview with Dodie Axelson at Cytiva, so formerly GE Healthcare Life Science. They even, and I have as well, interviewed competitors on their podcast. Yes. It, 100%. People, smart people have things to say. you got to believe the pie is big enough and, and there's value. I'm such an advocate of that. I think maybe in the past, if you know trade shows were the only way people did business and all these new mediums and ways to connect weren't around, then yeah, maybe you're a little more careful around competitors. But now, I mean, there's such free flowing information and we're all just, we're all people. We're all in it. You still want to connect with people who live a similar way of life than you had for eight hours a day, five days a week. They're doing the same stuff. Like you need that to stay sane sometimes, even if they are your competitors and you're fighting over jobs. And it's like, you look at professional sports leagues, look at the NBA, you know, everyone hangs yeah. out outside, everyone shakes hands and, and all that. And that's how like super teams are formed and they go win three finals, you know, like a lot, I think great success can be from like planting seeds and, and building and, and getting to know with your competitors and everything. So net, there's really no net negative, I think. Yeah. And you never know where you or they are going to end up exactly. at some point. Like you might end up working together by accident. So I actually have, I, I uh, do have a funny story about that. Um, yeah. Give it to me. Like, there, there's this, there's a company, I won't name them just for, you know, just for privacy reasons, but like they, they're on a different continent entirely and they, but they're in our niche and I kind of built a relationship with them just from hitting up their marketers on LinkedIn saying like, Hey, I love your website. Like, how did you do this? I, I lean on that a lot being a more lean operation where we're figuring out a lot of stuff ourselves on the marketing end. So I, I like to ask people how they did things and that has evolved, even though they do the exact same stuff as we as we do, it turns out that they have certain geographical restrictions I wouldn't have even known about, but they've ended up sending us jobs that we can work with. And it all kind of started from me trying to break down that bridge, and just talk to the marketer. So it's funny how it, how everything spins, spins off that way. Yeah. What have you done to promote your podcast? I know you put it up on YouTube. So you've done, um, however you've recorded your video, you put it up in a nice little framework on 
on YouTube, yeah. which is a fun way to watch it. Uh, yeah, we if just you're not got listening that, on your phone. That uh, little blueprint background. I thought it would spice it up. I actually saw Tesla or no Starlink, whatever, whatever was Elon Musk's like satellite company. They did a launch and they fit. They live streamed on YouTube, and I just saw the background. I was like wait a second, this is great. I want to steal this for my video. So I, I did a little spin off that and I wanted a little more interesting background. But yeah, promoting has been interesting. I, I honestly haven't done too much promoting. Like right now we have so much going on and we're, we're kind of have our hands in everything. So I, I don't have too much time to devote to it. So I kind of have a slow and steady approach where I'm just working on building the library and building my catalog of episodes. Slow and steady wins the race and making sure we don't overextend in any area. So, you know, over the next couple of months, I think we're going to be looking towards building more of an email infrastructure, but mostly it's been like LinkedIn and that's a promotion strategy. Yeah. Honestly, I think I probably do better on LinkedIn. I honestly don't know. I don't, I'm not tracking click throughs on LinkedIn, but relative to my newsletter, people open my newsletter they look at it but of course if they're subscribers to my newsletter hopefully they're subscribers to the podcast and they listen on their phone so they're not clicking to listen on the web right maybe the new people click through um on the web right. or they just want to get a little snippet what's been what have you learned or what's been surprising about your little podcasting journey oof i think the number one surprise, and I, I'm big, I don't like sugarcoating things. So I'll just be straight up. I'll say you get fatigued pretty quick when you can do podcasts. And so like, that's something I didn't expect. It's something, well, I kind of did expect it. And that's why I intentionally planned. I really wanted to have 10 episodes recorded before I launched because I knew I didn't want to launch and just have one episode and let it sit there. So yeah, it, it can be fatiguing. And I think like once you start ramping it up and you have a lot of competing priorities, it can be hard to like keep up with it. So so that's something that I, I learned, I think, the hard way. You mean fatiguing sort of in the long run or as you're doing them? Or? No, I mean putting every foot forward to like, okay, let's get another episode out. Let's get another episode out. Let's get another episode out. Um, and sticking to like a weekly consistency. That's something I've definitely fallen off the horse of. But I've kind of laxed my own expectations of myself there. And then just work on steadily doing it and maybe ho hopefully doing like one a month or one, one every couple of weeks. Right. I mean, I've been you know, for a long time, aside from client work, I, I had time. I still have time to do these. I started out at an every other week cadence. I once got a large backlog of episodes. I just happened to meet a bunch of people at a conference and got them all lined up. So I had maybe four to six months worth of episodes, Ooh, nice. which was nice. And I said, well, maybe I can go every week. And I start putting them out every week. And then pretty soon, you know, every other week would be good. Right. And now, of course, I, I miss occasionally and I miss more during the summer. And I think I've been around for whatever. This is episode 125 we're doing right here. Wow. So I think people don't want to stick around. Yeah. If you're still with me, you can you can tolerate a little break. I think keeping it going when you've got all your hands in it, I'm trying to do more video content. And for me, that even if it's just me, I don't even have a guest. Yeah. To set up the camera and think about what I'm going to talk about or what I want to do, that inspiration hits. <laughs> Not every day, let's put it that way. Yeah. But I, I try to do something just to up my skill. Right. Um, and so, so what, what is your workflow like? Like how, 
do you hold yourself to a certain cadence and and do you have like set days of the week that you do all your producing and all that like how is how has that evolved for you over time that's a good question i do not have a set day a week i mean usually i'm often producing them you know the day before i put them out right um so i record them whenever it's convenient for the guest so that's the first thing I, and people ask me well what's your timeline for doing this i said whenever it works for you i'm happy you know you're doing me a favor right i'll record you whenever it's good for you and then um i do find it is actually better to edit and produce it right after it's done because it's still in yeah. your head and get it out of the way but it doesn't always work out that way so there is no set that way and then ideally it's every other week i will say that lately we've had these gaps and it's because i'm not maybe meeting as many people or a bunch of people have been on i can certainly have people on twice done that but i don't worry about it so much but i typically i publish them on a tuesday or maybe monday afternoon gotcha. um, so that's that's kind of the workflow yeah. for it and then you know, it does take a little effort to, I mean, the minimal effort is to just throw the link up on LinkedIn and write something about it. If you want to do a little more, then, you know, I create an audiogram where I take a snippet of audio, maybe a picture of the person that I interviewed. I am going to be starting, I'm going to make an audiogram for a LinkedIn story today for today's episode. Nice. So just to see how that, how that goes. And again, just for upping my skills right um what other kind of content do you have in mind for the future since you seem to be a big advocate of content yeah one of the ways that we attract the most traffic is all in the long tail keywords and so that's you know we've gone from having no exposure in the last year and a half to ranking number one for how to start a cannabis lab, ranking number one for how to start a dental lab business. We do this kind of insane keyword research where we isolate every possible niche and specialty that we can attract. And we do it in stages to determine what we're going to produce. So, and this is a relatively new system. We've started to do some and got some good proof of concept in, but take like dental lab, for instance, I commission content through a writing service and pick a wide range of specialties. And then when I see that one of them starting to get traction and rank well, just from putting the blog post up and start to get traffic, actually like in analytics, we start to grow. Then I know, okay, let me make a video of this. Let's eventually turn this into a podcast episode on the, on the calendar. Let's maybe find someone in this niche to do a podcast episode with and start to build that all out. Maybe, maybe we'll commission like a custom interactive web page or something. And who knows down the road, if I ended up saying, you know what, this lab design stuff, I want a little more traction on this. So I went instead of 800 to 1500 word blog post, let's do a 3000 word, massive, totally ungated blog post about lab design planning and guide. And now that's ranking highly. So when I think about my content, it's like almost always from an SEO perspective. And when I test a bunch of ideas and one gets traction, I know I want to make a video, probably do something in an audio medium, et cetera, et cetera. I'm super focused just because of the nature of our business, where you could think of us like a specialty construction company. I want to hit every niche. And anytime someone Googles 
or metallurgy or a brewery lab or a fishery, something where you're not going to Ikea for this furniture. You need like a stainless steel manufacturer to get like specific stuff. I want to have content on the internet there. And I, I want to be ranked number one. I want to be present in the video snippet. We want as much exposure and visibility and branding as possible. And we want to look like the experts in the niche too, which is a huge challenge in our industry. And I think the way I do podcasts and the way I produce podcasts is a fit for what we need it for. And what we've seen is we get the qualitative feedback. I'm not looking for podcasts to give me a huge ROI and what are the costs and all that. When we hear potential customers mention it or look at our website and go, wow, yeah, you guys, you guys really look like you know your stuff. That's what we need to differentiate ourselves and that's serving its purpose. So like, that's kind of how I, I see everything and how I execute the content strategy. Now, juggling all that, it's another story. It's, it's very challenging, <laughs> but the strategy is there and we've, we've had some major wins when it comes to like getting, getting more visibility and ranking on those niches. So just so I'm clear, you're kind of using SEO and pay-per-click to determine what content you're going to make. I mean, you make some content and based on those, then you say, all right, now we're going to go make other kinds of content around this because we know we have an audience here. Right. Well, I'm ready to invest the time in a video here because I know it's going to get views. I know, I know it's going to get views. I know it's going to show up. Impressions are honestly one of the most important pieces because another big part of our industry and our buying process is most people are going to come to the table wanting three different bids from three different companies and or right. more. So we know that we just need to get our foot in the door and then let sales do the work. Because you're a specialty sort of construction company, people naturally are going to have to search to find what they're looking for. It's not something they're going to purchase regularly, maybe. And then you find them and that other content, the podcasts and the videos are just pulling them in deeper. Right. And it's branding, it's authority. It's sending a signal is really what it is. Right. It's saying right. we're modern. We, we have polish. We know what we're talking about. We're not just Joe Schmo, something or other. Another thing to think about with our industry is, and maybe it's similar to many industries, but I, I know it's definitely specific to us. Our competitors are very old companies, 100 plus year old companies, like the, the juggernauts of lab furniture been around since World War II. You know what I mean? And they yeah. they have corporate structures and, and marketing departments and ways of thinking about these things that are mostly through the traditional dealer networks and relationship building. And we we have, you know, more modern approach to marketing and all the, those other things. So that's that's a big driver. That is an awesome story. Well, I'll tell you a really funny story. It's not funny. It's actually pretty crazy. But I think I heard this and I said, wow, lab furniture is the most exciting industry I've ever heard of. Um, so, <laughs> said so, almost no one. <laughs> I know. And I'm totally, I'm totally BSing too. I mean, it's not true. Yeah. But like, um, it, it's, it's, you'd be surprised, honestly, just because when you see the companies that we work with and like, the, you're like, wait. Monsanto. Oh yeah. We, we went in and built a lab for them. Like you, you see the insides of these like really technical and normally confidential facilities. Um, but there is just a little anecdote, but there was a company who in like the early two thousands moved their operations from Wisconsin to Reynosa, Mexico, which for those of you who don't know, Reynosa is right on the Southern border of the Rio Grande Valley, like right at the southern tip of Texas. That's a border town. 
And within a couple years, they'd actually had problems where they got overrun by the cartels down there and they were smuggling their drugs in the laboratory casework. And you could look this up online, like it's all there. And, and that like actually left a huge power vacuum in the industry, which is a large credit to why we've been able to fill a lot of those gaps and prove that as a younger company, that we could really do what a lot of these old, older companies were doing at just as much, if not better quality, we're more flexible, we're leaner. So it was like a power vacuum for us, but it was like a really interesting story that when I found out, I'm like, wow, this is a, this is straight out of like a Netflix series or something. It's pretty <laughs> yeah. true crime drama in the lab furniture industry, you know? That's fantastic. So <clears throat> Matt Benson, thank you so much for joining me on this one. I, I just think that what you're doing is really smart. I think there's going to be a, a lesson for a lot of marketers on it's a different approach to content that you just described for people and how to decide what content to make. And um, definitely going to be following your story. I will put a link to your profile on LinkedIn and your website on the show notes. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the time. And, uh, and yeah, thanks. My pleasure. I told you that'd be a good one. Hey, Thanksgiving is coming up. And I just want to say in this crazy year, I am thankful for all of you, everybody who's been listening to this podcast, everybody who's sharing this podcast and all the support you've given me through the years and all the friends I've made on this podcast. So if we haven't met, reach out Chris at Life Science Marketing Radio, connect on LinkedIn. I'd love to talk to you. And as always, if you like the podcast, you probably know two other people who would like it as well. I'd be really grateful, as always, if you would share it with them. I will talk to you soon. Bye-bye.